Yep. Welcome to the pilot episode debut episode of One Up Pod, our new monthly podcast where we geek out for a bit about video games. This month, I, Bash, am your host, and I am joined by Becky. Hello. Chip. Hello. And Andy. All right. (laughs) And we are talking about the somewhat revolutionary 2007 game, first-person shooter, role-playing game, survival horror, whatever, you name it, it's all there. Bioshock. Would you kindly? Would you kindly get this? Would you kindly find that? Would you kindly find that? Would you kindly find Would you kindly get this? Would you kindly head to Ryan's office and kill the son of a bitch? So before I do a quick overview of Bioshock, I'm going to say now, for the record, I haven't yet finished the game, but the... What? What? <laughs> this, is, this is new information? We didn't know this? Fraud! <laughs> Lies. You knew this. You knew this. <laughs> you start calling them Blidio games. Blidio games. <laughs> <laughs> but I have got to the the big twist. Um, so it's fair to say that as we as we talk about Bioshock, spoilers abound basically Um, yeah Mm -hmm. i mean to be fair it's like a 13 14 year old game and it's been on like several platforms and at least the last two if not three generations so you know someone who will get angry at us though right you know that would happen we'll get some angry tweets like oh my god i can't believe you spoiled the twist of bioshock yeah but (laughs) i feel like if you know you want to play bioshock you should have played bioshock by now like except for sasha Except for say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Already. <laughs> it starts already. It begins. It begins. Okay, so, overview. So, Bioshock takes place in 1960, and you are Jack, the sole survivor of a plane crash, who um, wakes up to find the entrance to a recluse underwater city of Rapture in the middle of the ocean. It's like this strange, horrifying dystopia um, that looks to be on the back end of a civil war. And um, you have a mysterious Irish man called Atlas helping you as you work your way through the various levels of Rapture, uh, fighting the sort of mutated and monstrous denizens of the city? Underwater? City, is it? World? Yeah, yeah. it is yeah. a city, yeah. <laughs> it's all those things and more. It, it's all those things and more. You have weapons, genetic enhancements, camera, that's magic. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as you work your way through. And uh, so, I I mean, I guess makes sense to start discussing from the start of the game, maybe. And, you know... Talk about the immersive world of Rapture, which is the thing that really stood out to me. Well, it's like one of the best openings to any game ever, right? Like, it's so simple in a way because you're literally just on a plane crash, you land in the ocean, you swim to a lighthouse, and you're off. But yeah. it just it just kicks you off in such a great way because you have this dramatic opening with the plane crash, and then you get sucked into Rapture straight away. And as soon as you enter that lighthouse, you just see the design of the world, the soundtrack kicks in, and... I, you know, obviously I've played it before and I went back and replayed it before we started recording this, but I was just in it straight away. I was like, yes, I'm so excited to be back in Rapture. I, I, and I played the remastered version as well, which I guess, you know, helped enhance the graphics and stuff like that. But I was just so excited to be back. Yeah, I think the lighthouse as well is such a great aesthetic moment because of the art deco design. Like, so obviously 
the game takes place in 1960, but Rapture itself was built in 1940. So you kind of go back to that kind of era almost immediately. You've got the Django Reinhardt playing Beyond the Sea. So there's kind of that like lyrical, slow opening to it. And then you get the no gods, only man. And it's like, ooh, we're in. Um, and yeah, and the actual descent with the bathosphere as well, which oh. is the next bit when you start to see like the neon lights of rapture it really does feel like one of those kind of momentous gaming occasions i mean it's certainly one of my favorites of all time i, I kind of want to know what uh, that whale was thinking well, was <laughs> i can't imagine a whale understands why there's buildings under there yeah just swimming along be like oh cool that's the city Okay. It'd be used to it by now, wouldn't it? Like, it's been there quite a long time. It'd probably just like, yeah. I mean, it's like when you put a castle on a goldfish bowl, right? Same thing. Yeah, but goldfish have really short memories, so do whales. Like, is the whale just constantly swimming past Rapture going, oh, look, a city. And then it comes sort of circles back around like, oh, look, a city. I'm glad right at the start of this podcast, we're getting straight into the nitty gritty and the important questions about Bioshock. Yeah. The whale what is was important. the whale thinking? I mean, just to be the, the one who's, you know pro-whale conservation and, and likes them, um, it definitely would remember. They have very <laughs> long memories. They remember stuff better than us. I'm just saying. That ruins my joke, Sasha. So by this point, they'd just be like bored of the, the rat race yeah. in the city. So instead of, oh, look, a city, it would be, oh, there's yeah, a city. A again. <laughs> so it's like a commuter, basically. Yeah, a commuter whale. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel, Sasha? Because you've obviously this is your first playthrough. So, like, how did you feel in that uh, intro? Because we're obviously replaying the old memories and playing the game again. So we we knew it and we're coming back to it. But this was your first time. So how did you feel uh, heading to Rapture? If you and ignoring all the whale stuff, <laughs> do not ignore the whale stuff. <laughs> the whale is important. I mean, you know, forgetting about the whale for a second. And I agree, whales are important. <laughs> When I said it's it's my first proper playthrough, as in attempting to play it all the way, but I had, for some reason, I was convinced I'd played it until I then played it now. And I think what happened is I played it back on the PlayStation Three and then stopped playing, and then was just convinced for the rest of like for like a decade that I had played it. So I think that's actually what happened. So it's it's the second time I've done Rapture, and it's still I think, like in spite of the fact that over a decade that I've not played it, it's still a memory that really sticks out. That you really remember it. The soundtrack is something that I've listened to throughout the years. It's it's really weird. It's like I recognize it without recognizing it, but it's so impressive. And maybe especially, say, now it's on the remastered version. I certainly can't remember well enough from PlayStation 3 to be able to compare. Not like a whale would. <laughs> no, not like a whale would, no. <laughs> you, I think you get an instant sense of time and place. I think mm. that's the yeah. thing. Um, and even though it's dystopian, you still get an instant sense of that as well. And I think it's really obvious that it used to be a utopia. Like, you can see really clearly um, how it used to look and how pretty it must have been. Especially the places like Arcadia, um, like the Tea Garden. And I'm trying to think of the... Oh, yeah, the Fort Frolic with the theatre. Yeah. You can... There's that real sense of the grandiose as you're walking around it. Like, just because it's decrepit now you get the sense of what's been lost in that decay. I think it's what it makes the game quite unique as well. It's like, I can't think of anything that even comes close to looking or feeling like that game. You know, mm. you get a lot of 
games that become popular, then you find uh, multiple games that are trying to repeat what that game did. But with Bioshock, like even Infinite is completely different to the first Bioshock in terms of the way it looks and the setting and stuff like that. And I just don't think there's much else that is like that. And that kind of leads really nicely, actually, just into... I touched on it at the start, but just this idea that Bioshock... it. <laughs> The idea of, you know, survival horror, first person shooter, a little bit RPG, it where it kind of had all of these boxes that it was ticking. Now it, it doesn't seem that unusual. Like loads of games are doing it, but it's it's really easy to forget, I think, that Bioshock kinda did it first. Not completely, but you know, like to it in such a successful way that it blended yeah. all of these genres. Um, and like you said, it to the point where it's thirteen years later, and as as you said, Chip, there is still nothing like it, not on that level of success. Yeah, uh, I know System Shock Two kind of covered a lot of stuff Bioshock was doing, but in a much more clunky, uh, awkward way, like where a lot of PC games were like just very focused on like the inventory and progression systems being really complicated. And Bioshock like streamlined everything, like made sure the inventory system boiled down to like just the essentials, what you needed. Like, does it heal me? Does it give me ammo? Does it give me power? Does it uh, give me money? Whereas like before that, System Shock was very a very convoluted system. I know some of the purists prefer System Shock too, but I think Bioshock is what made that whole thing popular because it like made it something everyone can access. You don't just have to be like a major rpg had to get into it i was not actually uh, speaking of system shock has anyone actually played either the first one or the second one because the second one was what like eight years before bioshock and yeah. i've never played it but from what i've read it's more cyberpunky than biopunky yeah it's very very cyberpunk it's the same like it's just, bioshock's a spiritual successor to system shock too have you played it then yeah, it's very good, but it is very, it's much more bogged down in details. Like, Bioshock gets right down to the, the important stuff, just so, so you can focus more on the being in the moment and, like, experiencing the story and experiencing the terror and, like, taking in the atmosphere. For System Shock 2, you have to spend a bit of your mental energy focusing on all the different systems that it's got for you to use. Are there any whales in System Shock? <laughs> I don't remember any space whales. <laughs> I yeah, think you okay. would. If you're in space and you saw a whale... So that's, that's, that's odd. <laughs> I'll remember whale, that. The whale would be equally like, oh, a spaceship. The, the whale would definitely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume space whales can remember for a long time. Space goldfish can't. <laughs> this is, this is a, a weird bit that we've set off on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, Even for <laughs> us. You mentioned there about the storyline and I think because of there's so many mechanics at play in Bioshock and you know when I was first getting used to it and to be fair obviously you guys were watching as I was streaming it at the time so you, I think you could see that I was finding it quite overwhelming the amount of mechanics mm. that there are mm. there's there's shooting there's stealth there's combat there's the the plasmids and there's the there's well there is hacking no it's the tonics is that I was thinking of yes oh, yeah. Yeah, and the tonics the, the, all the different like power ups and stuff there's there's just so much stuff to manage throughout it and yet somehow they still manage to make it that you still find yourself focusing on the story the story is so engrossing 
Yes. Like, yeah. that it's not too heavy on that inventory management. Yeah, it's very, very straightforward. I think just on the point about the, the mechanics of it as well is that it's it's flexible enough that you can play the game in different ways if you want to. Like, I tend to favour, mm-hmm. like, hacking things so that I can let all the bots do the work for me. Because um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not good at first-person shooter games. I find them quite disorientating. I usually play third person, so it always takes me a while to get back into that kind of lack of periphery. And I think, yeah, so, you know, if you were an old guns blazing first person shooter type, you can do that, absolutely. If you want to be a bit more stealth and do the hacking approach, you can. Um, and you can do what Sasha did, which was just <coughs> run around and bash everything with a wrench. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which is the best way valid oh i'm not disputing the value of the wrench approach it it was my first approach as well i think like i couldn't get used to changing the weapons so i just like sod it i'll just use the wrench (laughs) i did like that that was one of the first like combat mechanics that the game teaches you like once you've electrocuted someone run up to them hit them with a wrench yeah the game encourages the wrench player twat him (laughs) yeah I don't know when you guys played it like I developed I really developed like a style and a system that worked with me with the gameplay and I think that's one of its strengths is you have so many weapons and plasmids and tactics that you can use to get through the game so mine was pretty much right I'm gonna electrocute that guy and then I'm gonna run up to him and shoot him with a shotgun and that was pretty much my tactic throughout the entire game um apart from fighting the big daddies where it's like okay I will use these heat seeking RPGs and that was pretty much what I did. Like, I used the bee plasmid for a little bit because that was fun to throw bees at people. Um, <laughs> one of my lifelong dreams. Um, what, to throw bees at people? Yeah, wouldn't you like a superpower to be able to throw bees at people? I it's mean, top of, of the list. superpowers I would pick and the plasmids from the game I would pick, I don't think throwing bees would be the one I went for, I must admit. The, I just think it'll be fun. Do bees listen to you or do they just do the wrong thing, like bees? I think they're just bees. So you, you couldn't guarantee they wouldn't try and chase you. No, but you would have the power because you would be projecting them from your person upon another person, and then you just kind of stay away for a bit. Or you could throw fire at people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was also pretty good. Um, but I like the electricity one, and I did like the winter, the 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 ice one as well. Winter blast. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. But then, obviously, if you kill people, then I don't think you can pick up their loot afterwards because they kind of shatter. Yeah. Um, I think I'm right. So, yeah, I just mostly stuck to electrocute people, shoot them with a shotgun or the machine gun if I got anti-personnel rounds. And that was pretty much my tactic throughout the entire game. So I'd like to hear if you guys had tactics or how you how you did Bioshock. How did you Bioshock? I, I, well, like you said, the, the whole combat system is very flexible. Like The way you can interconnect like the plasmids with a physical attack or mix and match like the plasmids to work together. So I just generally like varied how i played throughout if i knew there was like a big daddy coming up i'd try and like uh, use the hypnotize or possibly enrage depending on who i wanted to attack who i like to mix the uh, electricity with fire sometimes shock somebody then just light them up it's always you could always like mix and match it with like whichever weapons you had like spare like if you're running low on ammo it's always handy for the electro bolt and yes the wrench yeah is it a wrench or is it a spanner it's a wrench it's a wrench thing. i'm it's not a wrench. diy boy you you know what a wrench looks like right no okay i don't want andy fixing anything near me yeah that's fair yeah Yeah. i mean i'll I'll just come around and do it with the bees yeah i'm sure that'll be really helpful i can't see anything going wrong with that 
Google to the rescue. Now I know what a wrench and a spanner are the same thing. I'm really pleased for you. It's a big day for me. <laughs> We've learned so much already today. We've learned what a wrench is, how whales remember things. What space whales may or may not remember. Yeah, this is great. It's been informative and educational. <laughs> you have learned about the existence of space whales. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's a big day. And maybe space spanners. <laughs> well, obviously you need space spanners to fix, like, space appliances, so... Oh no, are we just going to start putting space in front of everything and starting <laughs> a conversation that way? We'll I... save that for a system shock, dear. What about space bees? I don't this want space bees. This is Bioshock, this is underwater spanners. It is, oh, and no. underwater oh, no. whales. Un- it's... Underwater whales, the <laughs> that's, that's the scientific name. Yeah. <laughs> Sasha, tell me about your style of play for Bioshock. Tell me about using the wrench. <laughs> Yeah, I like because I like you saying that because you you watched me play, mm. so <laughs> um, no, my style is very free form. Are you in the spanner? Wrench, sorry. Yeah, free form. Free form. <laughs> it was just whatever was available to me at the time, and you know, a little bit of panic usually, but <laughs> it was fine. I don't know that I had a. I don't know how that I had a tactic, other than, other than just attack it head on, whatever it was, regardless of the enemy, big daddies, security devices, splicers, they all get the same treatment. Just panic wrench. Try Twat it. Just try my best to beat it over the head with a wrench. That was. You see, having played games with you a lot now, that like. Mm-hmm. It makes every sense in the world that your approach to gaming is, or specifically Bioshock is, whatever I have in my hand, I'm just going to twat it. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I, I was a bit more like Chip in that um, I would hack all the security bots. Um, for one, I love the hacking mini games. They're so much fun. So I used to like just lose myself hacking things for a while in the game, which I would be aware is a bit weird. Um, so, I got a lot of anxiety from those. Really? Oh no, I really. Yeah, like it. there's a lot of sort of like, oh shit, oh shit. I mean, I did enjoy them to an extent, but there was definitely definitely panic. I like I like the pressure. I I think I handle pressure better than you though, Chip. So, well, that's probably fair. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I would go around hacking all the security devices and the security cameras, and then be sort of happily wandering around with all the alarms going off and splices getting shot everywhere, and me just going, <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna get some bread. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's eat some crisps. Okay. Oh, there's an audio tape. I'll listen to that. So my like, I didn't really do combat as much as possible. I feel like there should be some sort of trophy for like, oh, you got through the game without using a single piece of ammo. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned about the trying to avoid combat, and all I was going to say is, I think that's very fair. Again, anyone that just ever has watched me play a game in any capacity or in in life just watched me go about my life i i scare easy like i'm very jumpy as a person <laughs> and have so you've been frightened of your own reflection in a video game before sasha you know that i have and you also know <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that i've been afraid of my own reflection in real life so thank you thank you um yeah, no, the splicers in particular set me into that fight off light of just hit them with the wrench, hit them with whatever yeah. I've got. Like, I, I would just, I, I kept panicking in the face of them. Although I do think I was a pretty neat shot. 
play as the more I got playing it, but I definitely it never stopped making me jump. Particularly the um, it's the Houdini ones, isn't it? That yeah. just like just appear in front of you. It's like mm, no, this is not good for me. Yeah, the spider <laughs> slice is one of my least favorite. Like I'd hear that like scuttling across the ceiling and just be like, no, where are they? Where? Because, yeah, they would often evade all the security stuff anyway because they were crawling all over the walls. Yeah, I've never been a fan of the spider splices. But the Houdini ones really got to me this time more than before. I think, yeah, it's that element of just sort of appearing. And because you don't have that periphery vision as a first-person shooter, all the scares feel, like, magnified because you are literally very focused on that almost tunnel vision aspect so speaking then of the enemies what was everyone's what is everyone's worst enemy in bioshock i mean i found i had a real affinity for the big daddies oh they're so they're my favorite enemy if that's yeah. the thing they're so iconic now yeah like yeah. i remember seeing like a couple of years back like a comic-con cosplay of a big daddy and little sister and it was just it was so cool they're just instantly like spottable from a mile off i love them and the intro of them in the game as well is incredible yes like you just get the sense of the dread that they can put upon you as a player when you're coming up against one um and yeah they look cool they're badass and they're fucking terrifying yes and the sound they make as well just Mm -hmm. like and obviously later on you find out they they really smell and that somehow makes it worse as well. The fact that you can probably <laughs> smell and hear them coming before you see them. And you just know that that's what's approaching. Oh, it's the sound of the footsteps. Like, I'd just be walking down a corridor and I can hear the footsteps. And I'm panicking and I can't see. And then I look and they're, like, in another tunnel, like, yeah. parallel to me. And I'm like, oh, fucking hell. Or, like, you turn <laughs> around and they're right behind you. And you're like, oh, hey, Mr. Bubbles. And then you have to run. <laughs> Got to be the scariest things ever called Mr. Bubble and Rosie, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did you guys get it that when you actually killed one, you did feel slightly bad afterwards? I did because of the the, the way the little sisters. Yeah, react. yeah. Like their, their grief was like, oh dear. Oh no. Yeah, I I have been known to like apologize to the little sisters after I've killed their big daddy. Just be like, I'm really sorry. I'm trying to help. <laughs> it's like you feel like you shot the dog or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Them little sisters are like, I mean, I said it as I was playing. They're little bitches before they're, <laughs> before they're, before they're saved. <laughs> like, like about that. <laughs> so judgmental. They encourage the big daddies to like get you. Like, yeah, I, I mean, they are like corrupted by a sea's look, so. I feel like we should cut them a bit of slack, but also they are, like, the creepiest things. <laughs> well, they're uh, apparently modelled on the Grady twins, aren't they, from The Shining? Yeah. And uh, Juliet Lando um, voices them, or is one of the voices, as in Drew I didn't from know Buffy. that. Yeah. She does such a good creepy voice. She does. So, yeah, I think she's the one who says, like, um, come on, Mr. Bubbles. Like, that, that's amazing. That's her. She follows me on Twitter. She follows me on Twitter as well. So. Oh, she follows everyone on Twitter. Yeah, she does. She didn't follow me. <laughs> Do you want her to follow you? She probably read my tweets. So. <laughs> what did you say about her? Nothing, but just any tweet. <laughs> <Just do it. laughs> 
I mean, if we're talking about enemies, then like uh, our least favorite, can we say Atlas? Can we get to that? Oh, because actually, actually, one of my favorite, like before we get to that, one of my favorite splices. It, you meet them early on. It's the one talking into the pram. <gasps> oh, yes. Kill them and you walk up to the pram and you see there's like a gun in there. Yeah. So like, unnerving. So like, creepy. Could you get any more fucking American than that? Around <laughs> 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 a fucking gun in a pram. And talking to probably, it. Probably, probably takes it to like the like family photographers. Like sets it up in a nice little chair. <laughs> takes a picture of it. I'm glad we could alienate our American audience in the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, just straight in there, like, nope. <laughs> we don't want any Republicans listening anyway, so... Well, it's not going to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they like Bioshock anyway. Well, that's, I mean, that's a whole discussion waiting to happen. <laughs> I mean, if they did, would they want Andrew Ryan to win? Yeah, I would I would have assumed so. Yeah. yeah. So they, they probably would have turned the game off before they had to get to that point. <laughs> they stopped just before they get to the golf club. Oof. Now I'm just picturing that splicer taking the gun to like Santa's grotto and putting the gun on Santa's lap. So have you imagined a whole <laughs> domestic scenario for this yeah, splicer no, and their spiral. gun baby? <laughs> yeah. Like this whole photo album of like the gun growing up and going on its first prom date, getting its first car, <laughs> first girlfriend. Killing its first big daddy. <laughs> so you mentioned Andrew Ryan. And of course, Andrew Ryan, and certainly Rapture itself, being strongly inspired by Ayn Rand. Yeah. You know, the... That delight. <laughs> yeah, the utopia and the idea of, you know, genetically enhanced and, you know, everything and everyone looking and being perfect. I mean, it's such a strange experience to play it and, like, have a character that really makes you go... <sighs> Like, you know, just that in, like, gritting of your teeth in here, like, some of the stuff that Andrew Ryan says is just so abhorrent. Yeah. I think one of the things I find most interesting about the approach to Utopia in Rapture is it feels very much like a continuation of the kind of stuff that was going on in novelists like H.G. Wells, um, Yevgeny Zamyatin, and Aldous Huxley as well. You know, all these utopias that are brought about by essentially genetic engineering as far as they understood it so selective breeding in humans basically and you kind of have the the sort of the extension of that of well okay what if you had a utopia where everyone has access to superpowers as well as being like perfect and good looking and mostly rich and it's really interesting to see a game very much rooted in kind of mid like the 2000s um, ideas and sort of transplanting that onto early 20th century ideas of utopian thinking as well. And uh, then obviously you get to Andrew Ryan and his whole objectivism stuff, you know, the Atlas Shrugged ideas. And it's just this whole, you don't expect that much kind of philosophy and uh, thematic thinking necessarily tightly packed into such a quite simple game. Mm, it mixes a lot in, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a lot of biblical references and stuff as well thrown in there, and it's just... Oh, I think that's what makes the game so unique in a way. It's yes. just It's just a melting pot of all these like crazy ideas. Like I was reading up about it afterwards, and I was, like, my tiny mind was just like, oh my god, this is so much to take in. I didn't realise <laughs> there was so much of this. 
yeah, I mean, most of my like notes just on the player notes were like me geeking out about the various literary references that are in there, the classical references. And I mean, you could easily devote like a whole episode just to talking about that side of things, like the whole idea of um, objectivism and how the game uh, kind of promotes and critiques Andrew Ryan's philosophy. So objectivism being the idea that there are no ethical or moral responsibilities to anyone but yourself, that kind of selfish capitalist attitude that Ryan embodies pretty much. Yeah, it opened the gates for all sorts of like things getting out of control, like the creation of the plasmids and yeah, and the rise of Fontaine as Andrew Ryan's yeah. opposite. Uh, you know, trying to promote a community versus the individualism side of Rapture. Yeah, I, I really liked the way they used the plasmids, like as part like it's a standard part of like gaming, having like power ups and stuff, but making it integral to the the philosophies of the the game. Yes. And and the decay of the game as well. You know, the fall of yeah. Rapture is brought about because everyone needs Adam to survive, but yeah. there's only a finite supply of Adam to go around. So naturally, it becomes kind of like a an every-man-for-himself situation. And I love how they tell those stories as well, not just from, like, uh, Andrew Ryan or Fontaine or Atlas, but when you find all the tapes that are scattered around as well and you get all these characters that you never actually meet in the game, but you hear their stories and just how they are involved between uh, Fontaine and Ryan and just all these other lives that are going on. And I think they do such a great job of just filling in those gaps and telling the story of everyone in Rapture. Yes, and of Rapture itself and how it like how that decay comes around. Like um, mm. Steinman, the surgeon, um, oh. and his, I mean, his, I, I hate listening to them, but they're also so fantastic in his quest for the perfect physical specimen he wants his aphrodite um and when he's talking about like he can't get them perfect so he keeps carving these women up and you don't you know obviously you encounter him briefly in the game but Mm -hmm. there's a whole character there just ready made from these audio tapes you don't have to spend more than that with him to know exactly what this guy is about and you can really he's one of the ones where you can really hear his decline and the way he changes through the game as well like you say when he's trying to splice more and more and more to get the perfect you know whatever he's trying to create and i think because obviously you find the tapes out of order and stuff like that but i think he's his is most one of the most clear stories that get told through the game yes for sure and the creepiest and he's one of the first you encounter as well isn't he so it really sets its stall out quite early (laughs) if you're gonna meet all these grotesque people (laughs) yay yay So glad I came. Yeah. Thanks for this visit. Yeah, I suppose we are going to have to get to talking about Atlas at some point. The elephant voice in the room, as it were. So, the the twist, essentially. Again, this is the warning for anyone. (laughs) Yeah, if you haven't played it and you don't want to know what Atlas is about, mute or skip or... And also, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> this is a show about Bioshock. Go play the game. It's amazing. And then come back and listen to us. Yes. <laughs> if you like. <laughs> Way to self-promote, Andy. <laughs> oh, please come back. I miss you. Very sincere. We're going to have to work on your delivery, I think. <laughs> nah, I'm fine. <laughs> well, we can do some ad reads. We're just going to make Andy do them. Yeah. <laughs> please do. Download Robin Hood today! (laughs) (laughs) 
topical. <laughs> it won't be in like a month when this comes yeah. out. <laughs> Everyone will be like, why are they talking about Nottingham? Like, what? So, Atlas. Yes. yes. The point at where I am in the game is the point of the the you know the betrayal the big reveal of who atlas actually is um who andrew ryan actually is <gasps> yeah like oh God. to you genuinely like mind blo- like it, it has to be up there with one of the top i don't know if you're going to make like a top 10 list of twists in a game or twists in anything really yeah, like, yeah. in general it, like it's it's just it's just one of those that was so unexpected. And it's, I mean, like I like I say, it's a 13-year-old game and somehow that had managed to be kept mostly secret from me. I, I knew the Would You Kindly was something, yeah. but I couldn't... I, I didn't know. I, I wasn't sure. And, and the way it's revealed is... It, it makes me really happy that you didn't know that and you yeah. got to experience that, like how it, it was meant to be experienced. Um. I think that's really cool. Yeah, because as you say, it is such an iconic reveal. Because um, it takes, not only does it take like the story and turn it on its head, but it kind of, it takes the whole concept of the video game itself, you as the player, um, as well as you as Jack, and just shatters all of it with that one would you kindly phrase, you know, you've had this illusion of control because you're a person playing a first-person shooter and video games tell you how to do things and teach you how to interact with the world. And that's how Atlas functions for you at first. And I think, Sasha, you spotted it when you were playing it, that very early on, Atlas asks you, would you kindly put that wrench down? And you do it without um, you actually taking any action on the controller. And it's not something mm. I'd ever picked up on until you pointed it out. And I was like, oh my God. And I've played that. I mean, this is like my fourth playthrough. And so it's it's so built into the fabric of the game, but is also so destructive to that fabric. It's just, a, you'd never be able to pull it off now. But at the time, like mind blowing. And just where you, you touched on that. So I don't know if it was just because of some kept knowledge of that, bit of the game in the back of my head or what if I'd heard someone talking about it but it the whole would you kindly thing just really stood out to me anyway because like it has a little bit of an open world type feel to it at times there's times when you can just faff around wander about areas and then as soon as Atlas says would you kindly you get the little arrow on the screen telling you where to go yeah and it was another one of those it's quite subtle because especially if you're a person that plays video games you're used to this stuff all the time the idea of you're given a mission or you're given like an action something that you need to perform to progress through the story so you're so used to that idea of ah the game wants me to go do this thing so I'll go do this thing and then you know the reveal happens and you know it turns out it's that whole mind control thing and it's like that whole thing of you because you're following directions that were given to you or any illusion of control is just gone it's like you're just following out you know a world designed for you by someone else and it's so meta in yeah. terms of gaming anyway and it, 
I think the reason it has such an impact versus if you maybe tried to do it now or if you tried to do it in an, you know, a different setting, a different game, so much of this works so well because of the first person perspective, but not just the first person perspective, because, you know, it's the fact that your character never has a face, your character never has a voice. It really feels like you. You, you, like, you don't have thoughts, nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> like, you're literally just arms. And as you're walking around, <laughs> like... With a really nice jumper on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is that really strange feeling of, like, you get, that's, I think, it's so, you get so absorbed into it. Like, for me, as someone who has, like, a constant inner monologue, I start thinking as if I'm the character. Like, I'll be making up my own monologue for the character. And then you're like, oh, I had no control, ever. And also, I'm, like, what, four years old in reality? Which is probably yeah. why. <laughs> I'm not speaking and stuff. Anyway, it's just, it's such a moment. And what, one of the things I spotted when I was watching your playthrough of it as well is the note on the present that you see right at the beginning when you're on the aeroplane says, would you kindly? Um, mm, yep. So the implication is, like, even before you're actually in control of this character, you have no control of the character. Like, you know, the implication is that you've, um, you're about to hijack the plane and it's the would you kindly on the label that triggers you or awakens you as as that character um and it's so well done i think what sasha was saying as well is like how jack is this kind of you know blank slate that you've been imprint on uh, not in a creepy twilight way but you know um <laughs> the way that again going back to that great intro is like you know nothing about this character you just you start you're on a plane you read that note and you see like a brief picture of like what you assume is the family or something yeah um and then it just kicks off and you just you're just straight into it there's no like oh jack was on a plane where was he going where was he coming from like why does he is he fine just picking up a gun and just shooting loads of people you just you're straight into it you are that character and uh, i think that's that's incredibly well done and like you guys have been saying it's just that the way it's constructed and built in to just feel like any old video game but it's so important to that story and that game yeah, and also to the themes as well. You know, objectivism is all about making your own personal choice that is best for you. Um, and I think we'll get into the the morality of, of Bioshock later in terms of the Little Sisters, but specifically for the decisions that you're making, you know, finding more money, finding more ammo, it's all for your survival. And the would you kindly reveal takes that choice away because what you're actually doing is serving atlas you're atlas's puppet basically for his personal quest against ryan and it all builds to that amazing scene with andrew ryan um in his office and it always sticks out with me that a man chooses a slave obeys um and it's that whole idea like you jack is that kind of dichotomy between the two positions you you can choose or you can obey and that kind of that moment kind of breaks that phrase in half so before that you're obeying and then from that moment on in the story you can choose more so and then obviously andrew ryan himself chooses death uh yeah to yeah. and commits to it wholeheartedly with the golf club <laughs> <laughs> that, that the thing that i liked about the well, I found interesting about the death scene is it was a scripted moment. You had no, like, 
agency over that scene. It just yeah. played out, and you had it was like the veil had dropped, and all like illusion of choice was gone, and like he just fully committed to the the idea of loss of control. Yeah, and it's really traumatic watching the character that you've grown attached to playing throughout the the game do something so coldly violent i think you know because yeah. when you're it's not it's not self-defense yeah it's exactly like it's not a slice of murder run. yeah exactly i mean uh we have to mention armin shimmerman's performance as andrew ryan because it makes uh ryan such an imperious figure you know the kind of orson wells uh voice that he puts on and the vincent price appearance like he's for all intents and purposes this sort of giant figure of a man but in that scene he feels so small yeah it's like a shitty wizard of oz <laughs> yeah ex- <laughs> exactly that peer behind the curtain and there's just a small man with a mustache and a golf club but yeah i i mean playing it again recently i'd not forgotten the power of the scene but i think i had forgotten the trauma of it and the violence of it mm it's really shocking. I think even now, even when you know it's coming, it's still really shocking. And I had that with um, with Atlas as well. Like, obviously, I knew I knew the twist and that he was actually Fontaine. But in the early parts of the game, it still got to me. I was still like, oh, no, Patrick and Moira. Yeah. No, what has happened? And I was like, but no, no, I know. I know what this is. They're, they're, they're not real. They're fine. Um, but I think that's all in the performance and the scripting and stuff like that. It's just absolutely brilliant that he still got me and i was like god damn it i've got to save this man's family no wait he's a cunt okay i'm sorry i forgot about that my bad it's that lack of it's the lack of control again the game's telling yeah. you what, how, what to do and how to feel in the moment yeah and it got me yeah, it absolutely got me and it yeah it gets you hook line and sink it every time or it has with me anyway it, w- it wouldn't be able to do that if the game wasn't good yeah like, yeah you, you wouldn't yeah. just go through the motions otherwise but in a game that engrossing you just pulled straight back in and you let, you're going to let yourself get fooled just to go with the story. Yeah. And I think that speaks volumes about the game and the quality of it as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy to be tricked like as many times as that game wants to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, fool me many times. I will be happy no to. No shame. Yeah. <laughs> so, see, we touched upon the twist earlier. Um, one of the things I'd written down, actually, was, like, is it the best twist in video game history? Like, I was trying to think of if there was anything of equivalent or better. Uh and I couldn't really, the only thing I could really think of is like maybe spec ops the line, like in terms of like a powerful kind of thing that hits you in the gut. But I mean, what do you guys think? It'd be either spec ops the line or Knights of the Old Republic. Those Ooh. are the only twists that I could say of equal. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't think it's so much a twist, but in terms of a gut punch, where the story goes in Red Dead Redemption 2. Which I feel it owes, oh, a, I owes a lot. To talk about that. <laughs> but I, I, I feel it owes a lot to this particular moment in Bioshock, um, in terms of like a loss of control. I won't go into details because we're going to talk about Red Dead Redemption Two at some point anyway. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yes. But, <laughs> um, but just that I think it's what reminded me of Bioshock. But I don't think there has ever been a twist for me in anything, film, book. Um, video game where I felt so completely like taken out by the twist, like literally. Oh wow! Floor opening up because I think it was just so well crafted, and it, like I said before, it it's it affects every fabric of the game. It's you know your experience as a story, also your experience as a player, and to have yeah. that kind of power 
is is really quite something. It's a twist that could only be done in like a linear video game. Like you couldn't do it in a movie really. It's the fact that you've got some sense of control over the the way the story's playing out, or you think you do. And yeah. it pulls the rug out from under you. You couldn't get that from a movie or a book or a TV show. You'd yeah. just be watching somebody else experiencing that, whereas you're experiencing this twist mm. up close and personal. Ah, the power of video games. Yes. Good video games, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But what about you, Bash? I can't think of anything off the top of my head in terms of um, anything that stands out to me more than that as being like a, a more shocking plot twist did it get you in the gut like it kind of coming to it uh obviously apart from it just being a good twist how did it get you kind of like personally and emotionally <laughs> are you asking if i cried <laughs> <laughs> Tell i'm us not your saying feelings. i want you to cry on every single episode but open up <laughs> don't hold us back oh don't <laughs> we're not therapists please <laughs> I think one of the things that maybe hasn't been touched on in terms of the twist phase, some of the... For me, I ended up, like I say, getting really attached to the character of Jack. And I've not, like I said, I've not finished it anyway, but up to the point of the twist, like, you really root for the character because the character is you. And so it feels, it felt like to me, like the twist happened to me. And I don't think this comes as just a different perspective of, you know, being a mum or anything. But weirdly, one of the things that, really got me because because all the way through you know that Andrew Ryan's a villain not just because you're told he's the villain but because he has really abhorrent ideologies like he's he's just objectively also bad and you kind of you don't get that from you know the Atlas character although something always fell off I think for me the thing that made him like the worst ever <laughs> like a worse villain than Andrew Ryan in the terms of the game just because regardless of whether that whole sense of community and whatever he'd originally been aiming for, whether that was um, admirable pursuit or whatever. Well, he's doing he's... it for a power grab, so. He, yeah. <laughs> the thing that got me, as does with many of these types of things, is he took a child from a mum and then they just did all these horrible things to a child. Forced him to, what, he was like 19, had the body of a 19-year-old by the time he was one year old or whatever it was. And his, you know, those four years of his life that he's lived at the point that you're in the game, it's just being conditioned to be a puppet, basically. That hit me in a different way as um, certain games have in the past. So I'm thinking things like The Walking Dead, Telltale Games. Um, I mean, they're, they're absolutely devastating anyway. But there's moments in there that particularly involve children that really hit me in like that full-on gut punch of just and i'm not suggesting that people who aren't parents can't have that but i think it's very much at the forefront of your mind yeah i'd agree with that when you are one because naturally it's part of my world being a parent so as soon as it was like yeah this baby was stolen and then experimented on and all this horrible stuff it's just like oh my god he's literally the fucking worst like (laughs) i know going back into it i'm like i just want to destroy him like that's just such a horrible thing to do to i mean a lot of it is anyway but you know it just felt like this it felt it felt personal in that way which i imagine for a lot of gamers maybe and i'm i know i'm overgeneralizing but i don't know that and from reading it doesn't look like that's necessarily been massively picked up 
which is fine. But it's just it's it's certainly the thing that just really stood out to me like instantly. Yeah, it's it's not something that I thought of actually until you brought it up. Like obviously, knowing that Jack was a child and was experimented on is horrific. But I'd never thought of it like. I don't know. I don't think I dwelled on that. I think I I spent more time thinking about that sort of loss of control and the idea of being used and manipulated, and yeah. you know your sole existence is to rid the world of Andrew Ryan on behalf of Fontaine. Like there is no other purpose. I think that's the beauty of why it's such a great game as well. It's like we can all come into it with these different kind of avenues and ways that it gets us. And we all still love it. Like that's that's a sign of the writing and the craftsmanship behind it. I think it's not. It's not, not to dwell on it, but I do think so much of that comes from as well that the protagonist Jack is such a blank slate to start with, and it's so easy to immerse yourself into his world in a way that few other games have done for me. Um, because so many games, even when the first person they still have a voice for that character. So it's yeah. not your voice. It's not you. I don't think it would work nearly so well if Jack had any more of a personality beyond wearing a cable knit jumper. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um I and I do think you're right. I think that is like at the core of it, that is essential to um why the game works and why it does affect us it all in such different but similar ways. Because you're coming at it from your own first-person experience of your world, your yeah. life, and you're applying it to that one. So we've discussed a lot about the twist, and now the bit that I haven't played, although I know I know there's the, the good ending, and I know there's actually technically two bad endings. Like, there's one that's bad, real bad, and one that's bad, not so bad. And those very much depend on... Is it Tenen, Tenenbaum? Tenenbaum? Tenenbaum, Her yeah. opinion her opinion of you. This is the bit that I haven't played, although I know that I'm on track to the good ending. <laughs> um, Just get that in but, there, like, I'm so virtuous, I'm getting the good ending. Unlike I've, 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 I've not sacrificed any of the children. Is... I did that once, okay, in the first playthrough, and it was the first one, I didn't know what I was doing, or the controls, and I felt guilty about it for the last 12 years <laughs> until I played it again and managed to get the good ending finally. And I felt like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. My heart is pure again. I got the good ending on my second playthrough. Everything's okay. Deep down, you know which is the real ending for you. Yeah, the, the good one. The good one. <laughs> sure. I've, I've always got the good ending. I'm just going to throw <sighs> that out there. I'm like physically incapable of playing any game like as the bad guy. I just can't do it. I feel too guilty. So, but I feel like it's a bit harsh though. Like I got rid of one little sister, just the first one, just, just one. Murdered you know? one child. Oh yeah, only just one, one child. child. It's okay. <laughs> You murder one kid and they call you a child killer for the rest of your life. Like, if you think about it as a bar chart, I'm looking pretty good. Uh, Very psychotic. (laughs) Your honour. I'm not sure that defence is going to hold up in court yet. No, I didn't like it. I was really sad the first time I played it and I got the bad end in, which is why I was so determined. Like, every time I picked up a little sister, I was like, right, make sure you push the right fucking button. You're going to do it this time and it's going to be okay. And I was fine. Everything's okay. Did you get the middle bad ending? 
I don't know much there. I didn't actually know there was a bad ending and a really, really bad ending. So I only harvested one little sister. So I'm guessing medium bad ending. Yeah, so the, I think the degrees are... So obviously, if you get the good ending, you rescue the five little sisters that help you versus Fontaine. And they grow up to live happy lives and they're with you um, as Jack dies. And you still only see his hand in that scene, which I loved. Yeah. And then I think the medium bad ending is the splicer discovers the nuclear submarine and Tenenbaum's accusatory, but she's not like massively unhappy with you. And then the third, like the bad, bad ending is Tenenbaum basically just hates you. <laughs> like, um, And you've caused the end of the world is the implication, I think. Yeah, that the splicers get to the surface. Yeah, and obviously chaos ensues. So yeah, I but yeah, like I said, I'm ne- I've never had a bad ending. So, I'm good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that brings us neatly to the mechanic of the moral choices in the game. And I, I'll i leave Andy to introduce this bit. Oh, you mean ludonarrative dissonance? I do. And <laughs> Why? I was just about confused. to say that. Why do... Please don't be confused. We didn't just activate a winter soldier. <laughs> <laughs> it's an actual thing. I love the idea that you've introduced that and there's you two that have got copious notes and understand this and me and chip are like sat there like dum-dums just like mm-hmm. i was just like bash i'm gonna get a cup of tea or something while i'm having a chat about this so. <laughs> no hopefully it will be really interesting okay yeah don't rush to like agree jesus <laughs> i was gonna say hopefully <laughs> thanks, i don't know if that's better <laughs> Cautious optimism. that's the equivalent to putting the picture on the fridge you <laughs> Tell us about Ludo narrative dissonance. Thank you. Happy to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> Ludo narrative dissonance is a term coined by a former LucasArts creative director called Clint Hocking, and it's used to describe the disconnect between a video game's narrative as told through the story and the narrative being told with the gameplay. And it was, it's was it been used a lot in the past, like recently, like to criticise games like Uncharted, where the the story you're playing doesn't really fit with the shocking amount of murder you, you're causing in the gameplay. And it was invented in an essay about Bioshock. Yeah, so he, he basically makes the point that uh, the gameplay is kind of promoting you to seek power to progress you know, by draining little sisters and stuff. And that comes into conflict. Conflict? So I'll start again. <laughs> That's staying in. I liked conflict. <laughs> conflict. <laughs> he was making the point that the, the game player asks you to seek power to progress by, like, gaining more Adam. Uh, I'll do that again, sorry. I'm laughing at conflict. <laughs> do you want to do this, Becky? No. Do you want to like? No. Can we? We can jump between if we're going to both be talking about it. No. Okay. No. Fuck. No, you're doing it really well. I've talked a lot so far, so. So he he puts forward the idea that the gameplay is asking you to like seek power to progress, so like draining little sisters to gain Adam, and that comes into conflict with the narrative intentions of the game, which is largely to critique. Uh, the objectivist like philosophy yeah you well done i did it in one take you did <laughs> we'll ignore all the other ones explain it to me like i'm five <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the game is saying like self-interest is bad but the gameplay kind of you have to be a bit self-interested to get anywhere in the game that's what it's arguing okay now explain it to me like i'm three <laughs> uh no why are you playing bioshock you're free <laughs> <laughs> so i have issues with this I reading of the game <laughs> because yeah. i think for me it's derived from a kind of a fundamental oh now i'm flubbing <laughs> how do you do <laughs> i didn't say conflict at least so for me i have a lot of issues with this because yeah it feels like it's based on a fundamental misunderstanding of what the game is trying to do it would work if the game ultimately revealed well the game would work without the twist in that sense if you were playing it on an objectivist um style so you were making the selfish choices you were draining the little sisters but that's not what the game's doing because obviously you're revealed to be someone else's puppet so therefore any decisions that you've made aren't yours and i can't see how that's critiquing the player in that sense or how it's disconnecting from what the game is trying to say because if you do follow the objectivist idea and you steal all the atom you get the bad ending ergo objectivism is bad so yeah that every ending is a critique yes exactly yeah because if you get the good ending it's because you've helped and you've been ethically sound in rescuing children basically so it just it, yeah. it feels like it's a critique based on a writer's idea of what the game is doing rather than what the game is actually doing a, a very similar thing sort of came up around the last of his part two where people were saying it's really fun to kill people and the game, the story, is very much about violence is bad. And the game is very much designed to make the violence not fun. So anybody who's really gaining that sort of enjoyment, it's not the game's fault, really. It's just they happen to like violence. Yeah, they should be on a list. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that's the case. If you're Goodbye, a... Last of Us 2 fans. <laughs> <laughs> and another nice one gone. Hey, we're Last of Us 2 fans. Yeah. Like proper fans. And I, I think as well, like very early on, you know, when you're given the choice with the first little sister, you've got Tenenbaum saying, no, you can save them versus Atlas going, no, you're going to need the Adam. So very early on, one of the first acts of defiance that you can make versus Atlas while he's still in control of you is to opt for the morally good choice by saving the little sister. So it's already kind of contradicting that kind of dissonance that this guy is implying by having you have that choice right very early on. Yeah, Chip. <laughs> yeah, I like throwing bees at people. <laughs> I did tell you I was going to get a bit like nerdy on this one. <laughs> I was to say my yeah, Chip was entirely directed at Chip, who claims he, you know, did it by accident or whatever harvesting the little girl's adam yeah but it was a choice that you were you you were allowed to make and encouraged to yeah, make. Yeah. i pushed the there, wrong button a lot of uh -huh. up to that moment as well the, the little sister's like crawling away from you in terror <laughs> yeah so you have, it gives you plenty of times to like think this is a little child that i'm terrifying and possibly going to murder i'm sorry are we setting me up as a child killer in episode one can we at least get to episode six before we do I, this please i think you you, you outed yourself yeah you you told the story <laughs> Because I felt so bad about it, I pushed the wrong button when I didn't know what I was doing with the game controls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I, I think the get the point for me, my interpretation of Bioshock is that it's 
you know, it's arguing that the power that you gain from making those selfish choices and only looking after number one in that very objectivist kind of way is actually, it's ultimately, however you do it, it's going to corrupt you. So if you make those choices at Jack, you get the bad ending. Um, Fontaine obviously ends up like absolutely chock full of Adam and being killed by Jack. Spoilers! Um, Andrew Ryan, you know, all his bad choices in terms of having a government-free rapture with no regulation leads to the rise of Fontaine and ultimately Ryan's downfall. You know, at no point does the game reward that kind of moral choice. Yeah, it just, it feels like a very basic misinterpretation that is very interesting and easily be applied to the other games that Andy mentioned but doesn't yeah, work it's, here. It's a good bit of critique, but it was applied to the wrong game to start with. Yeah. I feel like. Exactly that. I tell you really cool is we could put the link to the article in the description and then maybe, you know, if people listen to this and want to check it out and then come let us know what they think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to know what they know about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy. Come let us know if you enjoyed the violence in Last of Us 2. That's another thing with the endings. Like, I know Ken Levine didn't want the multiple endings, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that kind of like, took away from like the intentions of the game yeah he wanted it to be much more ambiguous yeah yeah the, the endings are very binary it's like the good ending is like really nice and it feels appro- like the most appropriate but the bad ending is like it just it's the end it of in the that world weird period where the yeah it's that weird period where the moral choice system was like just in extremes yeah there was no like nuance like if you did one bad thing you were basically fucked It'd be interesting. It'll make you feel bad for ten years. <laughs> yeah, or oh, poor Chip. Where is Chip? <laughs> Where is Chip? Um, but yeah, it would be really interesting. Obviously, I wouldn't want them to remake Bioshock. It, you know, the remaster is just stunning and it's perfect as it is. But it would be interesting now that we do have the more advanced, like moral mechanics, um, how that would affect a story like Bioshock and especially the endings. You know, would you get more yeah. shades of grey? in there or would it make more sense to keep it at that binary well interestingly i was going to ask actually how you guys felt about the the next bioshock whatever it'll be called whether it's bioshock 4 or something else um kind of moving forward without ken levine being involved obviously he didn't work on two but did infinite which doesn't have multiple endings but i mean how do you guys feel about 2k well, i mean they're only publishing it because it's a new uh, studio cloud chambers um developing a new game without it's kind of the lead director on it i feel indifferent i I have concerns, but it's hard to tell. What are your concerns? Until we see something. From what I've heard, it's going to be more of like an open world like environment. So it's going to... And I, the thing I like about the Bioshocks is it gives the impression of an open world game, but it's still very... Like, even like Bioshock Infinite, kind of... It's a more open space, but it still funnels you through a really tightly told story. And I'm worried about like adding too many RPG elements... To Bioshock's gonna take away. Yeah, that. it won't feel like Bioshock with that. I don't think. Yeah, it's gonna feel more like Fallout or something. Yes. Yeah. And I don't want more Fallout. Sorry, Fallout fans. <laughs> I think I want to stay cautiously. You it on yourself. <laughs> I want to stay cautiously optimistic because I love Bioshock and I love the worlds that you get to explore as part of it. But yeah, I have similar concerns. You know, uh, the themes of. All three Bioshock games are very tied into that kind of funnel system and that kind of 
that progression through a story and the storytelling is always so great that as long as that's not lost maybe but i don't know yeah i'm i'm worried about how you can tell like a story that touches on like philosophy and like broad range of themes and tones and things like that that you come to expect from bioshock when it's a lot more like freeform choice like you've got more choice to do what you want Mm. which is what usually comes with like an open world experience it's very hard to like have a really tight and like focused story and bash you're indifferent i'm only indifferent i'm I'm only indifferent in so much as i've obviously not played the other two and i've not even finished this one yet so it's only from it's only from that respect i don't have any sort of strong comparisons to say of you know bioshock that two that was made without him was like this and then you know the other bioshocks are like this i mean my brain always kind of switches off a little bit when i hear about open world generally we know that i'm (laughs) um easily overwhelmed um by open world games when it's too open world so regardless of any of the themes of bioshocks look at you ubisoft (laughs) (laughs) just ubisoft I like, I like little bits of, you know, I like some of that, but I, I do still like having a story to follow and anything that feels too big is just like, uh, I don't know where to start. I'll continue. And it can be just way too easy for me to pick something else up. And then once you've lost, like, you know, all it takes is for me to not play a game for a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, oh, I don't know how to play it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that would be my only thing where something screams out at me is because I feel like open world is the way everything's going now, game wise, and it's yeah. fine. But it's always that thing of like, but please have some story line that mm. I can follow. <laughs> and there, there is a really like after being in an open world game, there's a really nice like when you return to something that is more focused and is more linear. It's a really nice feeling to just be like, okay, I'm just following this set path. And it's going to tell me a story rather than, oh, I have to go and collect like 32 different types of plants before I can advance <laughs> to like the next level of the story. Hello, Ubisoft. <laughs> <laughs> I do find with open world games, I get quite systematic about it where I'm like, OK, I'm going to finish everything in this corner of the map and then I shall go to the next corner of the map. And then I feel like so sometimes I really enjoy that, like kind of just that it's almost like vegetating in front of like a shit film or something yeah. you know you just you're just doing it almost automatically and there's something quite passive about it but also quite relaxing sometimes but sometimes you do lose the story like like bash was saying you know you, you kind of get taken out of it because there's just so much and it is so overwhelming yeah. um story's way too important to bioshock to yeah like, yeah like, model down the good news is there are some of the old bioshock developers working on the new one so maybe there's a hope that it could be good but, I mean, if not, then I think Kev, uh, Ken Levine, he has opened a new studio, Ghost Story Games, and they are apparently working on a new unannounced project, which Ooh. is also going to be published by 2K. So that could be interesting. The one thing about the new Bioshock that I'd like them to change is no more plasmids or, like, plasmid thing. What do you call it? Things like plasmid. Like in uh, Bioshock Infinite, mm. the, the Vigors. The Vigors made no sense in Bioshock Infinite. They were just there because... They had something of the equivalent in Bioshock. Yeah. yeah. The figures didn't make sense to the themes of Infinite. They made perfect sense in Bioshock because it's about the whole unchecked like, power and the pursuit of like exceptionalism and things like that. 
but it didn't make sense in Colombia, which, it, like, playing God in Colombia seems like a, it'd get you killed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's if, if they were going to do Bioshock, don't make it, don't add things just because they're in a Bioshock game. Make it consistent with the world, which is what Bioshock did with everything. Yeah. Every single part of Bioshock makes sense. Agreed, yeah. So to, like, be, be brave enough to not have, like, bees coming out of your hands in Bioshock 4. No, no, keep that in. <laughs> Unless it's, no if it's a game about a beekeeping like, commune, then sure. We want bees coming out of hands and we want space whales. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I want space whales. I'm not sure about I, the I bees. Want, but... I never said anything wrong about space whales. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on Bioshock? I love it. <laughs> it's my favourite. Yeah, I like that. I love it. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's, I mean, it is so far. I'm enjoying it a lot. Maybe by the next time we record, I'll be able to say, oh, you know, in... Bring, just bring seg- it up on a completely unrelated <laughs> yeah. No, no. We're talking can, about Spider-Man, but I finished Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say... Spider-Man? It- no. <laughs> <laughs> It, it'll segue nicely, to be fair, into our next section. I can bring it up in the, maybe, in the next, Smooth. you know, what have you been playing? What are you going to play? Hey, and maybe I'll be able to be like, Bioshock, I finished it. <laughs> I really hope you come into the next episode and go, that was a bit shit, wasn't it, the ending? That was awful. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> well, you had wasting my time for like an hour and a half. I think I'd actually be heartbroken if you did that. <laughs> No. I'd refuse to apologise. No pressure. I'd quit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no yeah, pressure at no, all. No pressure. <laughs> Just pretend to like it. That's what we hope for. Yeah. What we really want. We don't want quick, go back to your segue. Quick. Yeah. Segue. <laughs> what have we been playing? <laughs> flawless. Absolutely flawless. So subtle. Manoeuvred so like a dream. Yep. Well, I already did it. I even did a little half jingle. Segue. What are we playing? What are we going to play? Was that the jingle? Yeah. No, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Segway. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> um, sure, we did it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can talk about what I have been playing first. Do it. Yeah. Do it. We um, introduced the segment. This is the segment where we discuss what we have been playing for the last month and what we might be thinking about playing for the coming up month. That better. Brilliant. I That's love it. Beautiful. Not sarcastic at all. <laughs> it's going to sound really weird out of context. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to remove my badgering and just make it sound like Sasha's got an attitude problem. What's <laughs> 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 oh, her problem? Oh, God. All right, and third Sasha segue. <laughs> segue! They're getting, segue! They're getting more desperate. I have mostly been playing on my switch because um percival my playstation 4 is very much on his way out poor old bastard i know limping along he needs he needs to you know to go to the farm in the sky now um (laughs) no he's he's going to be relegated to blu-ray player but that's a that's a total aside um and i think the last couple of weeks I found myself getting a little bit hyperfixated, I think, with Picross, which I can only describe as like picture Sudoku. I don't know. It's 
according to my switch i've put 60 hours into it wow <laughs> and Whoa. it's literally just puzzles okay. it's literally just playing puzzles um do we need an intervention i mean maybe but okay <laughs> i think it's just where you mentioned about passive because it gets increasingly difficult i've completed the season five that they released and i now got season four so <laughs> yeah it's it's all i can say is if you like sudoku's or like those kinds of puzzle type games it's very addicting i have also played a couple of indie games because you know it's i it's kind of my thing is it, like i'll try out most indie games so the um the switch being known for it's absolutely massive indie library which i'm like so chuffed with and i think just one of the real highlights has been a short hike oh i don't know that i think it's only on switch i've got a feeling it's only uh, on switch um, switch dickhead switch dickhead yeah <laughs> Again, i was, was going to say that steam has a better indie library but i didn't want to be a pc dickhead i'm just gonna <laughs> sit over here with my pc for dickhead in but this the, the, the switch does have an amazing indie library as far as the consoles go it's the best Oh, it it does, yeah, as far as consoles, and I think because, obviously, I mean, I I hope anyone listening to this knows what a Switch is, so there's the handheld, and there's the TV, and there's, like, you you know, you can, it's a, it's a, it's a many, a multifaceted console, so I think that's my thing as well, is that I'm just finding, I'm really enjoying getting into um, some shorter games, so I played Gone Home as well. Uh, that took me about two hours. A short hike is like took me like less than an hour. Um, Gone Home has no replayability, I would say, but um, a short hike definitely does. I I know that I missed some things, and I'm definitely going to play that again. And I love those sorts of games. Yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing. And then like a lot of the big Switch hitters, like Breath of the Wild and Mario Kart. You know, so it's basically just been a very Switch month since I. Did my whole treat myself in December and and finally yeah, that makes sense. You got, got a new one. toy, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, I what have what have you guys been playing though? Because you guys, I know, I'm not saying this to be oh, look at me a Switch dickhead, but you are not Switch dickheads. So what have you been playing? <laughs> well, as uh, the PS4 dickhead, I've been playing a combination of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and Sims 4, uh, which are two games which don't go together very well. But I've been really enjoying. Like the kind of mindlessness of the sims and i've just got the new uh paranormal pack which i'm very excited about spending time in a haunted house which should be cool but yeah everybody's gone to the rapture i keep forgetting to actually play the game because i'm just sat there listening to the music um so <laughs> i need to get better at actually walking around and paying attention to the story but i'm really enjoying the score especially it's it's just stunning so yeah that's me and on theme as well yeah yeah I didn't think of that, but well done. <laughs> Wordplay. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> Andy, tell us what you've been playing. Me? You. I mean, don't feel you have to, but that is the whole point <laughs> of the segment. At the moment, I'm playing Hitman 3. I, well, I played Hitman 3 this month for review, and I've already finished that, but you can replay Hitman and Hitman 2 through Hitman 3. So I decided to go back to the beginning and play through the whole trilogy in one go. This is the newer ones, right? Like the ones yeah. that have been released yeah, the last yeah. couple of years? The, the 2016 reboot trilogy. Start, I've already done Hitman and I'm 
almost through Hitman 2. Oh, wow. I've hit a bit of a slog on Hitman 2. Like some of the this the some of the missions just aren't as good as the others. But I'm I'm motivating myself because I'm gonna get to the Hitman 3 missions which are the best. What is your most ridiculous slash favourite kill so far? I don't know if it's my favourite because it was a complete disaster. But <laughs> I did have a mission is it set in a winery? <laughs> like a, a vineyard. And I went into the, the factory area where they were making the wines out to do I was posing as the the guy who runs the like the winery and taking people on a tour and one of my targets was on the tour and I was trying to time it so I could push her into the grape crusher <laughs> and I was waiting for people to just look away I was throwing coins and nobody was looking away I was like, shit it's not working they're just staring at me throwing <laughs> coins at them so I just decided to just shove her in the shove her in the, the crusher and then run away and hide in the bush <laughs> that sounds quite successful it's not my smoothest move. I, I did have to replay that mission from the start because I wanted to try and get a good score. <laughs> I love the I, image I did... of you just stood there as 47, like, no, look away, just lobbing coins at people. <laughs> because it's like the just old... pushing someone in a great crush and running away. In, in the older games, you could just throw a coin and people would look where the coin went, but now they, if they know you're the one throwing it, they're just going to look at you like you're a dickhead and throw a coin. <laughs> and it's frustrating. It's surprising it's, that the technology has like improved amazingly, but it also makes it a lot harder to kill people. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> technology <laughs> makes it harder to kill people. Every serial killer would agree, probably. <laughs> I also played the medium. I finished that though. I'm not in a rush to return to that, even though it's a very good game because it was very heavy. Aren't you playing that next year? Yeah, there you go. Segway. Um, I have that on my list of things to play, so I will be playing that on stream on Twitch. Uh, or if it, you know, runs fine on my PC, I just need to double check that. But that is the plan, even though I'm already regretting that. It's not. It's not massively graph. It's like the graphics aren't top tier. I don't think the graphics are as good as like Observer, but it's kind okay. Of, as far as like load times and stuff, it's a bit more technically demanding in that sense. And if you want to see a if you want to see a grown man scream at his own hat, then I definitely <laughs> recommend watching Chef no. on stream. So this is why it's my biggest worry, is because I'm not... I don't know if you guys know this, I'm not that good with horror games. Uh, uh, no, you, you're massively composed. You're the coolest person I've ever seen playing horror games. Uh, thank you, Becky. I'm just going to take out what I said before that and just edit yeah. you saying yeah. that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's coming up. Um, also playing Phoenix Wright on stream, uh, which is coming to an end because they uh, coming to the end of the first game. We'll, we'll we'll return to that trilogy at the moment. But I've used, I played Phoenix Wright back on the DS back in the day, but I never finished it. Um, but I found it's been a really good game to play on stream because it's very much a community effort. And by which I mean, I look at the chat and go, "Can you help me? I don't know what I'm doing. Please help Becky, me." Becky, are you taking notes? <laughs> Just in, yelling at Becky to take notes. Yep. In fairness, Phoenix Wright is also like that. He'll get yeah. stuck and then somebody will like jump That's in true. and save his ass. That's so very true, it's actually. Okay. The... You are just Phoenix Wright, basically. Good, thank you. I feel better about that. Um, and then off stream, just for casuals, I've been playing the uh, Ghostbusters remake, or the remaster, which was free on Epic Games uh, a couple of weeks ago. I played that when it first came out, and I hadn't realised how much of an old game it is. It came out in 2009 originally. It's not the most polished of remasters. Like The game still feels like it was a game from 2009, and even then it was a bit clunky. But, yeah. you know, it's written by Dan Aykroyd and Howard Ramis, so, like, it feels really authentic. It's got the all of the original card. Even Bill Murray turned up for some reason. He turned up, but he didn't really turn up. 
<laughs> no, he's, 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 he's there. He's worried his way through it. <laughs> he showed it. It's like when he did Garfield and he thought it was going to be done with one of the Coen brothers. It's that sort of thing. Like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> so it's fun if you're a Ghostbusters fan. There's lots of references um, and it's just fun shooting ghosts, but it's not the best game in the world, so I'm glad I got it for free. So Chip, you touched on that you're going to be playing the medium. It may just be... And especially if you like me, I can be very much a flight of fancy type person. Um, I am midway through too many games. Um, so in terms of what I'm going to play, and yet I know, I know for a fact that one of the games I'm going to be playing is Scott Pilgrim that I have bought on both consoles, <laughs> um, my PlayStation and my Switch. And I will be getting the um, limited run games physical edition as well because it's got the one of the fancy ones that comes with all the extra stuff. Is that just to make sure you've got the game? Like if you buy it, like, yeah, three just ways, yeah, you've definitely got it then. I mean, if you're in it digitally, they could still take it away from you. But if you've got exactly. the physical game, they can't fucking take it away. Don't <laughs> yeah. Just visions like you, last like, time onto it. Like no, it's mine. <laughs> it's mine now. It's mine. Don't you dare take it from me again, Ubisoft! You cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, 100% that's how I feel. So that's definitely something I'll be playing. But yeah, in terms of anything else, it some of it might just be what's on sale. Um, I don't think I'll be playing Control, although that's obviously the PlayStation Plus game next. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait for that one to be on the next console. Yeah, I don't yeah. think Percival get, could handle it. it. <laughs> yeah, get it like get it on the, the this month PS Plus because it is... Can, like it can next gen upgrade. Oh, okay. Can it? Oh, that's PlayStation good. Five. The, the ultimate version is the only one that'll upgrade, and they made people buy it, double dip the game. Like anyone who owned Control had to buy the ultimate edition to get to be eligible for the next gen upgrade. Ugh. And then they ended up fucking giving it away for free on PS Plus, like a couple of months later. So <laughs> suckers. It's a good way to like <laughs> foster goodwill with you, your customers. <laughs> I guess Andy, Becky, what are you guys? maybe going to be playing. I've got Yakuza like a dragon sitting on my PlayStation 4 that I haven't started yet. I got that at, like Christmas and I keep meaning to play it because it's the game where you get to fight people in a nappy. <laughs> Gets to. I'm, 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 I'm it into really that. took me a while to register what you'd said. There. Yeah, there was a pause yeah. where you could hear all of us going, did he just... Yep. Oh, yeah, God, he did, was, yes, he did. I have said this to you people before. Maybe you choose you chose to mentally block it apparently yeah no i'd forgotten yeah and all i was gonna say is like gets to <laughs> it's my thing, get apparently. get get to wear a nappy like no you no you don't wear the nappy you fight a guy in a nappy the guys the guys uh-huh. wearing a nappy still the point is there you get to fight a guy in a nappy yeah he he's in the nappy you do a job for him and then you have to fight him apparently Get to. Get to. <laughs> well, you, ha- you have to then, fine. Fucking grammar nerds. <laughs> it's, no, it's not the grammar we're worried about. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the intent yeah, that's yeah. worrying. The enthusiasm with which you will be fighting this guy in a nappy. I, I, just, I just think I could take him because he, he's not going to be able to move very well. If it's a full, if it's a full nappy. Oh. I feel like he'd have a lot of access to his joints and stuff. He'd be quite free. Yeah, but he might, he might have a full lord. Becky, Becky, what are you going to play? Segway, segway, segway. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> Not Yakuza. Not Yakuza, no. I don't want to fight any man in nappies. It's your loss. <laughs> oh, no. So I got halfway through um, A Plague Tale 
and stopped it because it was really, really tense. <laughs> and I was getting quite stressed with it, but I really like the story. So I might go back to uh, finish off that once I've uh, exhausted my current Sims play and finished Rapture. Because, yeah, I was really enjoying it, but there's just a lot going on and it's all very nerve-wracking and I felt really guilty when I lost the little brother that you have to look after. Um, I accidentally sent him over a wall and like didn't call him back, so he got caught. It was all very awkward. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's a that's a nice note to finish. Yeah, we have talked about child murder. Go back to the nappy if you want. That, no, no, never. No, I'd I'd rather finish on depressing than horrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like me shouting segue is now just chips. Chip's note to Chip put something Chip. else there. Cut. Or he might just leave Segway. Me just go, Segway, Segway, Segway. <laughs> so, as we come to the end of the inaugural What Up Pod, does that make sense? Grammatically. Yeah. Yeah. Does it? Yeah, thank you. If it doesn't, I'll change it in the edit. <laughs> just, just, I, I kind of well, want you to do that anyway. But just <laughs> leave me as saying everything except inaugural and put like you saying a different word over the top of it. <laughs> just <laughs> the debut episode um, of One Up Pod. If you got here, amazing. Yeah, well Thank done. You. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't leave it the nappy bit, Godspeed to <laughs> you. are in. They'll, they'll have left to go and buy the game. I, I nearly left at that bit, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, we, we're going to leave you each with a recommendation and the idea behind this was that we were going to try and do a game-related recommendation that isn't actually a game. But we'll see how it goes. And I am going to come to Becky first. Sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so my recommendation this time is related to Bioshock. Um, it is John Shirley's Bioshock Rapture prequel novel which tells you all about the rise of Rapture and Andrew Ryan's kind of quest to build the city. Um, And it leads right up to the Civil War where Fontaine is supposedly killed. Um, So it's that history of Rapture. And if you like the game and you really like the world, I really recommend it for diving deeper into the stories that you hear on the audio tapes. And, you know, there's quite a few references in there which are quite cool there are also some clunky ones uh like when two girls are orphaned and they like they stood there like little sisters um so there are a couple of clunky moments but for the most part it's a really interesting read i'm looking forward to reading that because i accidentally bought it the other day <laughs> yep yep and now i can send andy this copy guilt free <laughs> okay so andy what is your recommendation that isn't the bioshock novel because you have neither read it nor do you have it <laughs> Well, that's my idea. Fuck. <laughs> I'm going to recommend the Epic Game Store. Ooh. Because it started with a really bad reputation. Like, people were just really angry with the Epic Game Store for some reason. Just because it wasn't Steam or because the user interface was crap. But it's got such an amazing, like, free game system. Like, I haven't bought a single game off Epic Game Store and I've got a huge library on the thing. <laughs> I've got Jurassic World Evolution, Alien Isolation, Blair Witch. Bus Simulator 18, because, you know, I do love to ride a bus. There are 17 <laughs> other bus simulators. Well, I'm assuming it's the year it came oh, out. Oh, okay. Oh, we're in my dream of, like, an extended bus simulator <laughs> franchise. It's, it's the, the, the bus simulator cinematic universe. 
yeah, and I've, I've got uh, Ghostbusters the video game that Chip was talking about. Like, there's, there's so many games, Night in the Woods and all sorts. And it's just like, even if you don't ever intend to buy anything off it, because I don't think the deals are that great, unlike uh, Steam, but if you get, just download it just so you can get the free game of that week. And over Christmas, they give away like, they give away like 10 games over Christmas or something. Chip, over to you. I'm going to recommend a Twitch channel. Um, so I'm going to recommend uh, twitch.tv slash Robotron, which is John Robertson's uh, YouTube channel. John Robertson does a thing called The Dark Room, uh, which I first saw about four years ago this year um, at the Edinburgh Fringe. And it is a sort of choose-your-own-adventure, like a real in-person choose-your-own-adventure game. He has these amazing like Legion of Doom shoulder pads. And he makes a lot of wrestling references as well, which you'd appreciate, Andy. And he made a joke about Brutus the Barbecue Beefcake when I was at the show, and I was the only one that got it, and we high-fived over it, which was quite <laughs> nice. But his Twitch channel is great. He's really funny, uh, really sound guy. Does a lot of charity streams as well. Um, doesn't always play video games. He does the Dark Room on Twitch. He does it on Zoom as well, which you can buy tickets to play for, and I would really recommend doing that because... Uh, the dark room is great the other stuff he does on his channel is really funny as well and if you're called darren you're really gonna like it too well i'm not called darren <laughs> so, <laughs> on protest but i still recommend it <laughs> i'll try to get past that roadblock <laughs> so it's a robotron with two b's uh on twitch i'm not called darren either i'm called sasha or bash hello nice to meet you thank you <laughs> yeah you too <laughs> my recommendation is going to come as no surprise uh, certainly not to anyone here. I um, and I'm not recommending my actual playlist, but I do curate a Spotify playlist that is like chill vibes gaming. So my recommendation is definitely going to be a chill vibes gaming. Um, not actually a soundtrack. Um, I'm going to be recommending Game Chops, who oh, I love um, Game Chops. yeah, they can be found on Spotify um, or on YouTube as well. It's just lo-fi renditions of like your favorite video game soundtracks they've done um a lot of nintendo stuff um you've not heard anything until you've heard like the um the me menu um in <laughs> lo-fi oh it's just beautiful um but yeah they do a lot of nintendo stuff and then things like undertale uh you know they, they kind of remix a, a lot of really famous indie game soundtracks because um i firmly believe that indie games have some of the best soundtracks out there uh, yeah and and lo-fi is just it's just great for when you just need something in the background to keep you focused or to chill to or whatever so yeah game chops and i'm sure at some point we'll maybe if particularly if there's links to things we've mentioned we can maybe like put them in descriptions or something i don't know um i'll certainly will link them on like twitter so follow us on Twitter, if you're not already, at 1UPPOD. Which is 1-U-P-P-O-D. P-P. P-P. <laughs> That's not going to get old. <laughs> that is not how we're going to promote it. <laughs> uh, no. 1-U-P-P. <laughs> 1-U-P-P-O-D. Oh, God, we're going back to the nappies again. <laughs> no, it's we're not. Segway! Segway! <laughs> so... Send us home, Sasha. Thank you so much for listening. If, again, if you made it this far, absolutely incredible. God have mercy on you. Stop saying that. <laughs> no, you, we want them to come back. We are at 1UPPOD 
on Twitter. Currently only on Twitter, but head there as in social media wise. Uh, I'm I'm sure Chip will correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to be everywhere you would expect podcasts to be. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. And like and review. Yes. If you fancy it, <clears throat> please. Uh, yeah. And send us money. Only good reviews there. If it's bad reviews, don't. No, we've got very, very sensitive. <laughs> we'll cry. When you come to do the reviews, just forget about the nappy bit, please. Just no, ignore that. No, focus on the nappies. No, stop it. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I have been Bash, um, and I am at Bash at Demonhead anywhere that there is social media, so um, and Twitch as well. Chip. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Chip Thompson, or I'm on Twitch at Chip Thompson's Thumbs. Andy. I am at truly underscore defective basically everywhere except MySpace. <laughs> Is anyone on MySpace anymore? Not even Tom's on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> and Becky. Um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Becky Grace Lee, which is L-E-A. So I guess this will be going out sometime. It should be out. By the time you're listening to this, it should be (laughs) mid-February. Our next episode will be in mid-March sometime. And we will be discussing Batman Arkham Asylum. And Becky will be hosting. I will. Woo! Which hopefully means I'll be talking less. No, I expect you to do less, like less, Like, less formally. (laughs) I think that's the thing. (laughs) More conversationally. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll sound like I'm more from Yorkshire because sometimes when I'm being formal, I'm not very accenty. Um, so Toby Carvery. <laughs> Toby Carvery. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Um, no. Yep. Thanks for listening. And Chip, play an outro, maybe. I don't know what you want to do. Get a life and play video games. Mm-hmm.